Okay, welcome to your listeners to another episode of the Jacobs Podcast, our first episode in 2020. And joining me uh, from New York is Will Witheridge. Will, welcome back. Great to be back, Sean. Very belated. Happy New Year to you. <laughs> and to you. It's crazy we're in um, February. I know, I know. Um, but uh, yeah. yeah, great to, great to be uh, on the horse again, yeah. Jacobs Podcast. Absolutely. And, um, of course, uh, Jordan Shopov from Geelong. Uh, Jordan, welcome back. Happy New Year. Belated Happy New Year as well. Yes, to you guys too. Merry Christmas. Happy Festivus. Everything. <laughs> Great to see you. Bro. It's almost Valentine's Day. Almost Valentine's yeah. Day, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Better be prepared. So, um, <laughs> excellent. So, um, as I mentioned, this is our first episode of 2020. We uh, did a bit of a, a like a quite a extensive recap in December um, on the year that was and some of our thoughts coming up for this year. Um, and I understand that because um, Jordan and Will were co-located at Jordan's in Geelong and I was in Brisbane um, and Will stayed for a few days and then you guys end up doing something pretty interesting um, with a discussion and an idea for a podcast, underrated versus overrated. Maybe just, um, and that's what we're going to try for this episode. So it be a little bit different, but um, something quite fun and interesting. How did you guys um, come up with it? Maybe Jordan, just explain how you how it popped up. Yeah, sure. So we were doing a usual, uh, well, not usual, but Will and I were debriefing after the last episode, and um, we started talking about other podcasts um, and kind of, you know, lessons learned about ours and what other people do. And we started talking about uh, conversations with Tyler Cohen, his his podcast series, and we were talking about how unusual it is and how, how, how you know, how interesting his podcasts are to listen to. And we started chatting about one of the segments he does, which is underrated or overrated. And the, the whole idea is he just kind of lobs uh, his unsuspecting guests random topics and tries to – the idea is to kind of flesh out whether they have sort of like a, a non-consensus, interesting view about a particular topic. And um, the uh, yeah, it's it was actually just good fun. We we just started playing it ourselves, and I'm not sure if it was a sign that we just ran out of things to talk about, but we we kind of played it for a couple of hours, and um, wow. yeah, it was really good fun. And we we're like, maybe we should do this for an episode. So yeah, here Excellent. we are. Oh, brilliant, cool. And what's yeah, this? I think yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Will. No, no, I think um, what's great about it, and we'll we'll kind of get into this, is just the is kind of determining. It's also interesting just trying to assess how things are rated mm. and then, um, yeah, and then whether whether they are, um, yeah, your reasoning for why it might be underrated versus overrated or um, is, you know, rated uh, fairly. So we'll, we'll kind of see this dynamic as we, as we get into throwing out some topics. Fair enough. Yeah. So I guess like, you know, to say something's underrated then, or sorry, it is overrated doesn't mean you. it's a wholesale dismissal of it altogether. It's just where it sits on that, that spectrum of, like you say, Will, what's, what's rating? Yeah, exactly. So it just, yeah, something might be, something might be really important, but it's, it's just overblown in how people assess it is a, is a good way to think about something that could be, uh, could be overrated yet, yet really, uh, really important. Excellent. All right. Well, that's a, a very... A mispricing, a mispricing in the market for ideas. That's what we're looking for. Okay, good, good. Excellent. Well, Jordan, seeing as you've, put your, you've popped your head up, we might start with you then, because I know we've got a few um, for each of us. So get the format we'll go through is just, um, we'll start with Jordan. Um, maybe, Will, you can start. Um, 
And again, it can be a range of things, right? So it's kind of like anything from, um, you know, real estate, I suppose, through to um, milkshakes or something like that, or shows on television, um, through to big conceptual ideas, so or figures of history. Um, so yeah, there's quite a bit of range here. And again, some of them can be quite playful as well as uh, quite serious as well. So it'd be a good, good mix. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, and yeah. We should we should just make clear that we we haven't um, shared any of these before the show. We're doing it. Well. Doing it live. We're just on the fly. Yeah. <laughs> so bear, All right, bear with. Overrated versus underrated. Dead mouse. Oh, <laughs> great. <laughs> um, uh, well, that's a tough one because I yeah I was a I'm a big fan of Dead Mouse. Probably my favorite artist of the uh, 2000s. Um, and but he was very well known back then. But I think, and this is where you got to be careful because, like, you might overrate the uh, the non, you know, the contrarian nature of your views. I think maybe he's fairly valued. So, but because he's very highly regarded, I think he's highly regarded. But I don't have any sort of maybe the thing that he's underrated for is the the light show that he used to bring to his his sets. I feel like he was the first one to really take that to a to a new level. But in saying that, he's he's pretty well regarded for that fact. So I'll say fairly valued, but good okay. question. <laughs> oh yes, and yeah. So we are. Uh, you, uh, everyone's free to pass on you know, any of these topics as well. Oh, that's right. Over I forgot to about Jordan. that. Yeah. <laughs> cool, um, Jordan. Underrated or overrated? Real estate. Oh, real estate. <laughs> are we talking Australian real estate, international real estate? Um, just in general, but maybe let's focus on Australian. Um, okay. Well, this, I'd say as an investment of, from an investment lens, which is probably like from my, from my viewpoint, how I'd look at it, uh, definitely overrated, significantly overrated, drastically overrated, sort of bubble type overrated. That's, that's where I'd right. I give you an easy one to start. <laughs> uh, a direct listeners to my past memo about the real estate market to fully, fully flesh out my views, but yeah, I think there is a sort of cultural delusion about the uh, merits of real estate. Uh, it's tied up in the Australian dream and the the prices just don't make sense. I think actually this is probably a good opportunity to reflect on some of the stuff I wrote about then. And one thing that's kind of um, struck out to me since writing all that research was I was really looking at the merits of real estate from an investment point of view. It's like the most economic reasons to own a property and since then, I've learned that people don't think about it in those terms at all. They think it more in terms of a consumption good, and I've underrated that aspect of it. And so the when you start looking into those terms, it doesn't really matter what the, the rental income is of the property. It doesn't matter the, you know, the, the life of the depreciable asset. It's like it's whatever someone's willing to pay for, a, you know, like a luxury handbag. It's completely – it can go to the moon. So that's that's probably one thing I missed. But, yeah, I'd still say that – the real estate market in Australia is massively overrated. Okay, thank you. Over to you, Will. Um, or do I do I love one now? Is it my go? Yeah, you you give one. Okay, cool. Okay, uh, I'll hit Will up first. Will uh, overrated or underrated? The Organisation for Economic Cooperation Development, I the OECD. <laughs> Oh, good one! My former, my former employer. Yeah, and don't hold oh. back. 
Um, I think aspects of its work. Uh, yeah. Uh, aspects of its work are probably underrated. For example, the like the PISA scores, uh, the education uh, rankings that they do across countries, and just how that's changed the conversation around uh, education in countries around the world. That's probably like an, an underrated aspect. There's a lot of uh, stuff about the OECD, which is kind of behind the radar and a lot about within country governments and, and meetings of officials, which is, um, which is probably, um, I'd say that's underrated to outside observers. Um, yeah, there's a way in which actually I think that the, o the OECD is, um, is also assessed as too much of like a, um, uh, a club of just rich, of rich countries. This is the kind of nickname for the OECD, um, that gets attached to it. And that's, that is definitely that, that label for the OECD is definitely, um, overrated. There's like a lot of change and uh, new members in the, the OECD. So it's like country composition and outlook is a lot more uh, diverse than I think people would say. So, I don't know. That's, uh, I think that's as frank as I'm willing to be. <laughs> On record. Yes. Is that enough? <laughs> yeah. Nice. I think it's a good answer. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. Who next? Well, you, I think you asked Will one now, Sean. All right, cool. So, Will, um, central banks, overrated or underrated? Oh. Ask me that one. Uh, <laughs> no, I took that off your list. It's too yeah. easy. Uh, I mean, they're, like, they're rated fairly highly and... Um, they're rated fairly highly and are like in, in terms of uh, economic discussions and they are really important. So I'm going to say fairly rated. Okay, cool. Yep. So you have faith, you have faith in the uh, technocrats to navigate the low interest rate, low inflation world that we're in today. Um, I mean, they're like, they're like grappling with the, the challenge of, of low interest rates. I guess I was thinking more in just that, um, that central banks are really important to the, the uh, to economies around the world and the functioning of the financial system. So I think in that sense, they're, they're fairly rated. Uh, what about you, Jordan? Yeah, I'd say that. I, I think they're overrated. I think people have, yeah, that was it. That's, you knew that one was coming. <laughs> I, think, I think overrated on two levels. Overrated in the sense that people... Uh, people think monetary policy can solve all our problems, and I think that's kind of, you know, coming to the end of its life where low interest rates are kind of shown not to really um, be, you know, the panacea for all our, you know, economic problems. I think that's kind of working through. But I think overrated on a deeper level. I don't think we need central banks at all. I think we could survive with uh, denationalized currencies, uh, not in the form of like Bitcoin or something like that, but I reckon uh, actual private private central banks. So, say the Commonwealth Bank or Westpac were able to issue their own currency, and the the interest rate was discovered through those competing currencies, not through, you know, the the RBA, uh, you know, board of governors meeting every month to decide what interest rate should be. So that's that's my pushback. <laughs> that 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 used to be the system in um, in 
in some in in the past before we had a uh, national currencies in, in different different countries. So, so one quick question on that, Jordan: How do you sense um, inflation would be stopped or put a handbrake on inflation, or would the system that you think would work would actually naturally um, take the edge off inflation? Yeah, I think that that's kind of the 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 core reason behind the idea is that the the interest rate would you know adjust like any sort of price in a you know in a market process through buyers and sellers exchanging and the the that natural organic free range interest rate would set it at a level that you know manages inflation so yeah that's mm. we could get super technical about that but uh i'd refer listeners if they're interested to a paper by friedrich hayek one of my yeah. heroes he wrote he wrote a paper called the denationalization of money Yep. in the uh, late 1970s, and that uh, that influenced my thinking a lot. Yeah, I think um, I think that um, you know that sort of system, you'd see a lot more um, volatility in inflation, like because it'd be a a price, so there'd be a lots of more lots more volatility in the the price of money. And I think in some sense, actually, like um, now, the stability of inflation is underrated. Uh, so we should. Uh, all yeah. right. Well, I think this would actually make a good good topic for a future episode. Um, and and I'm, yeah, go ahead, Will. I'm 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 ready to give you one, Sean. All right, let's do this. Thomas Sowell, overrated versus underrated. Uh, um, interesting. So I my impulse is to immediately say underrated, but um, that's purely in the sense that. Um, his wider reception among you know people who don't read uh, economics or um, a lot of history or current affairs, I think in his own um, world of people who are interested or you know who are economists or cover current affairs or look at current, he's um, I think he's rated well. Um, but in terms of the broader population and knowledge on who he is and what he writes about is um, underrated, I would say. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Can I quickly ask there what how he's influenced you, Sean? Are there any key ideas that you've picked up from his work, or is any any books that really shape your thinking? I think probably the first one was just the simplicity of how he analysed things um, and how accessible his writing was. Probably the first piece I read on um, on his was actually with um, World War Two and the sort of beginnings of that and Germany's expansion into the Rhineland and how that expansion wasn't met with any um, fierce kind of resistance because there's a lot of fatigue, for obviously, left over from World War One. People wanted to cut deals uh, versus um, launch full-on into another war. And just the simplicity of that sort of analysis was quite appealing. Um, and I just remember, um, yeah, being drawn to his work. Um, and that wasn't obviously on economics at all. It was just on um, international affairs. But... Um, yeah, so that was an early sort of entree, and it just led me into his other other work, um, and you know, economic facts and fallacies, and some of his other big books, um, knowledge and decisions, and he got a good rap from Hayek as well, and I'm pretty sure Friedman. So I figured this guy's got to be pretty pretty awesome because um, you know he's producing that sort of content when he was um, you know in his 30s and 40s, and he's in his 90s now, I believe. So. Yeah, I, I yeah. figured this guy's. I better read some of his stuff. So, yeah. If you if you had to recommend one book to someone who hasn't read any of his work, which one would it be? 
Oh gosh, I'd probably say um, doesn't sound too like enticing, but um, oh look, I'd say probably a conflict of visions. I know we might have talked about that previously on the show, but I remember recommending that to Jason, our good friend, um, and he found that like quite enlightening because it does explain the competing worldviews, especially like in in the West or that have shaped thinking. Um, um, yeah, so I think well, that would be a good a, go, a good read. Agree. It's a powerful. It's a powerful book. Um, okay, I've got one for you, Sean. And this uh, this guy has kind of been his uh, his reputation in the media has changed dramatically. I'd say in the last couple of decades, and I think you're a fan of his. So I'm keen to see if your views have changed on this. Underrated or overrated, Rudy Giuliani. Ooh. I think quite recently overrated, I'd say. book twice to read. I've got two versions from you. <laughs> wow. Wow. So you're spot on. I think his perceptions changed so much in the last couple of years, I would even say, you know, since sort of, and especially given what's sort of happened with um, um, the impeachment and the probe and all the stuff that's, that's come out. Um, I would still say, though... Um, Oh, perhaps overrated. I'll stick with that. I think um, I, I liked his um, the principles in his book about how he ran the city, how he turned things around, the kind of philosophy that he brought to um, you know again running a municipal authority, one of the largest in the world. Um, and I think he had clear, like decent uh, public policy outcomes there. So that was a good thing. But I think um, perhaps overrated um, in the last few years or in recent times. So don't read his book then. No, 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 I'm not going to let you off the hook. <laughs> read it. <laughs> so that book's Giuliani right. Leadership. Yeah. Yeah. Jordan, uh, yeah. overrated versus underrated. The Founding Fathers. Oh. <laughs> um, well, that's a tough one. So not any one in particular, just the, the Founding Fathers as a group. After you can tell us your, uh, your favourite one. Favourite one. Um, I think, oh, shit, that's hard. I mm. think, okay, from, let's, let's take an Australian perspective because I think they're pretty well, they're pretty highly rated already in the US, but I think, I think maybe underrated internationally. I think uh, countries like Australia underrate the influence that the Founding Fathers have had on all like Western democratic uh, forms of government. Like uh, our system has been shaped not, as, not only by the British system, but by the American system as well. And I think just uh, like my trip to the US, I did a couple of years ago, um, and I spent a day walking around the, all the memorials in DC, like the, the Jefferson Memorial, the Washington Monument, the Lincoln Memorial, and all these, all these things. And you're like, you can, it's just a, a very powerful, powerful, um, you know, area and like the ideas just like smack you in the face and you realize that kind of like DC is like new Rome. It's like, this is the cradle of Western civilization. And uh, we owe a lot of it to the founding fathers and their ideas. And they actually, they're execute. So um, there's a, there's a saying as well that the virtue goes to the, the people who design the game, not the girls who play it. And I think, yeah, the, the founding fathers designed the political game 
and the modern politicians just play it and we overrate the the, the modern day politicians and underrate the the, the people who design that design that game so yeah underrated um, my favorite one though would be Jefferson and I think just in terms of uh, there was a uh, I think it was JFK he um, he hosted a, a dinner at the White House when he was president um, and it was a you know it was all these I think it was all the Nobel laureates in the country at the time and he started up his speech by saying this is the um, the greatest collection of intelligence that's ever seated in the White House before except for the time that Thomas Jefferson dined here alone. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. Uh, so, yeah, apparently Jefferson, I, I've been meaning to read a lot more about him, but from, like, his monument at uh, in D.C., like, is incredibly powerful. Like, Beautiful. reading the, yeah, reading the inscriptions about some of the things, some of his ideas, and he was he was a titan, a titan, like, just, a, you know, a broad-based intellectual um, incredibly influential in the, you know, in the founding, wrote the Declaration of Independence. I think, yeah, he's a true, true giant of history. Excellent. No, that's, that's fantastic. I remember, yeah, getting similar feelings when I went to DC and yeah, it's um, quite a powerful place. Um, all right. So I guess one for Jordan from me. Shoot. Yeah. All right. Underrated or overrated? Netflix. Netflix. <laughs> Do you know what that is? <laughs> is that like Blockbuster? <laughs> uh, okay, are we talking from an investment point of view or a consumer point of view? Consumer. Consumer. Uh, massively. Oh, actually, hold on. See, I have this bias to to you know say there's an inefficient market, but you know more often than not the market's going to be efficient. But so I have to pull back this tendency um <laughs> maybe uh maybe oh yeah, i'll go fairly valued but I'll, I'll use this as an opportunity to say one thing i don't like about netflix is that there's a lot of b-grade shit on there i don't quite you know sure it's great you can binge as much as you want and i think that's why consumers love it but there is so much crap on netflix i don't know if you guys feel the same way but in terms of it you know user accessibility and price it's pretty it's yeah, pretty wonderful on that front. So, but I'll go fairly valued. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Uh, I actually, I actually don't have it. So, um, yeah. Well, um, but I think, I think probably, um, I'd say probably actually even underrated how it's completely changed the entertainment industry in a lot of the, you know, the content which is coming out of that. It's, um, yeah, it's it's incredible. So it's I, I think probably underrated. Sure, the way it's changing the the sort of entertainment industry. Yeah, because um, I remember yeah. seeing something recently like it's completely wiped out, like the piracy, or you know, cut it into you know mm. video piracy and that sort of thing. And I guess yeah. yeah, like you said, Jordan, the the price and what you get. I guess the range. There's a lot of dead wood on there, but um, for what you get, for what you pay, I think's quite quite good value from a consumer point of view. Yeah, day. and like. You've got a lot of copycats now trying to follow their path. So, like, they've obviously, you know, really pioneered a new form. Like, you've got Apple and Disney and everyone trying to get yeah. in and do something similar. Yeah. yeah, producing a lot of original content that's, you know, they've really, you know, changed the game on that front too. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Um, so, we now turn to us, Will. We got one. I got one for Will. Okay. Overrated or underrated? Climate change. Ooh. Oh. That's yeah. a... Softball. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Um. 
I think, I think actually in, uh, in some respects, um, underrated in, in the following sense of how, uh, how different our, our lives will be under a, a changing climate and that it's going to have, um, impacts on the way sort of, yeah, societies work, things like, uh, migration flows, um, yeah, extreme weather events. I think there's, you know, that's, um, in some sense, it's it's easy to, you know, consider that those things might be, uh, you know, down the road, but then to actually experience them and how um, dramatic the impact may be underrated. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's also rated pretty highly, so, um, yeah. by some. Do you, if, if you, given that you think it's partially underrated, does that mean that on a policy side, we should be doing more? Is that the implication? Yes, uh, I think so. And I mean, it's a, it's a diabolical um, policy challenge in taking action you know, now to prevent long-term uh, significant impacts. And, you know, that's just a, it's probably that like addressing that sort of challenge is the difficulty of that is probably, uh, is probably underrated. Do you have any, so not to drill down on you here, but like, um, is there any, um, do you have any thoughts on the best policy solution? Like, you know, or like, is there a path you think that hasn't been exploited yet? Well, I mean, one thing that's interesting, which I, um, I heard, um, yeah, cause it seems like a kind of global agreement is, um, is not possible for a way to address this. And, um, the, um, the winner of the Nobel Prize in Economics last year, I remember watching his, uh, he's an environmental economist. Um, I, yeah, um, his name is escaping me at the moment. But in his, in his lecture, the uh, Nobel lecture, he um, mentioned the idea of a climate club and actually um, countries forming a group and agreeing to put a kind of external, like, carbon tariff as a way to address climate change and that countries could, you know, join this join this group in imposing this external and internal carbon price and that, that actually might be more of a, a way to, um, yeah, uh, increasing um, collective action between, you know, groups of countries rather than the whole sort of universe of countries. So he was talking about this as a, an idea of something that uh, uh, might be pursued in different countries within Europe and addressing climate change. But in increasingly, um, you know, I'm... I'm thinking that um, some sort of uh, technological innovation is going to be um, a more a more likely way that we address climate change, given the struggle in um, yeah taking this kind of collective action in a precautionary way to address it. So yeah, those are some those are some thoughts. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, and actually, on that note. Um, I've just read the sample, so a good slice of it, but more from less Andrew McAfee's um, oh, yeah. book, which is fascinating. I think it's just, and I've dived into a few of other, I think, longer essays he's written, um, but that is just fascinating, actually. Um, but I think mm. we'll cover that on another on another topic because I do think, like, um, um, getting rid of central banks, it does uh, does uh, there's there's room for more discussion. Um, so <laughs> I've got one for, one for you now, Will, of course. Um, All right. So underrated or overrated? 
JFK. Ooh. Uh, I'm going to say... Oh, I'm going to say... I'm going to say overrated in the sense that... Um, yeah, he's this... Um, he's held out as a, you know... He's obviously very significant for because of uh, how he... Um, how he died and, you know, some, some moments in his life. But I think, yeah, in some sense of for his, for his actual um, achievements, I guess maybe like, you know, averting the Cuban Missile Crisis is probably like a, you know, a, a significant achievement. But in, um, yeah, in terms of his presidency, maybe, um, maybe overrated. Okay, cool. Because I, that's an interesting um like way to sort of put it because I just remember reading recently Ryan Holiday's new book Stillness is the key mm. and then he kind of writes I guess um, rates JFK very highly at the start which is quite interesting you know he talked about the Cuban Missile Crisis and then much later in the book like in the last sort of um, quarter um, he comes back to him and then just talks about how he's um, quite a flawed individual and a, quite a flawed figure so that was quite well done by Holiday, but it just sort of shows that same um, dichotomy about being, you know, hugely rated for one thing, but at the same time, um, you know, quite a flawed individual and I guess overrated from a character sense or um, having deep flaws and being overrated in that sense. Yeah, I mean, uh, definitely, um, I would say fairly rated as a, as a um, you know, as a um, giver of speeches, you know, there's... Uh, phrases of his which uh, mm. uh, stand up and speak to people decades later. Mm -hmm. Yep. Cool. All right, where are we up I'm, to, guys? I'm going to hit you, Sean. Um, right. Okay, my one for you, overrated or underrated religion? Ooh. Well, interesting. I think um, if you asked me this when we first met, you know, 10 years ago, I would say... Um, overrated, but now I would say uh, underrated, and I think. Oh, explain that shit. <laughs> well, a lot of it was buoyed by Christopher Hitchens, and you know I'm a close sort of follower of Sam Harris, and I do agree with a lot of his ideas. Um, Dennett Dawkins, because uh, I do think they make some very decent points. But I think that maybe it's the comeback of people, um, or sort of this return to meaning that Jordan Peterson talks about a lot and we've sort of discussed a lot on the podcast previously. But I do think that um, some of the myths and, the well, I guess the stories and the legends around religion does offer um, a lot of people a sense of meaning in a way that I didn't see probably 10-plus years ago when I was a lot more, not anti-religious, but I think I had less um, time for religion and its capacity to give people... A sense of meaning um, and you know where people can derive some of their principles from um, and how they conduct themselves in their day-to-day -day lives or or um, or live as well so um, I'd say uh, yeah um, underrated okay uh, I've got one uh, overrated versus underrated NATO <laughs> Ooh. okay um Again, I think views have changed with time. So um, I think the North Atlantic Treaty Organization hugely perhaps 
underrated or fulfilled such a um, useful rock closer to you know post World War Two throughout the Cold War um, to have um, NATO being the banner of intervention um, in Afghanistan, the broadest military alliance in in history, um, overwhelmingly positive, very good, a very good thing. But um, so it's not entirely t a toothless thing. But um, you know, when discussion was around, um, this is quite probably like 15 plus years ago on the NATO quick reaction force um, that would be able to be deployed anywhere in the world to be able to put down genocides or uprisings that were very violent or lots of innocent people were, um, you know, but wherever that may be, um, was floated as an idea. And I think it'd be a much more useful idea for um, the kind of world that we're in now and the kind of conflicts that we're seeing. Um, and it sort of has just been an idea, but I think it's quite not a toothless organisation, but it might be more of a toothless idea um, now. Um, so I'd say probably, probably overrated now. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Jordan. Uh, overrated versus underrated. The National Party. The National Party. Uh, underrated. Underrated because. I think most people don't even realize they exist <laughs> and they, you know, it's the coalition for a reason. It's not the liberal party. It's the liberal national party. And I think people have, uh, yeah, I think most people don't even realize there's two parties that make up the make up government in that sense. So, uh, yeah, underrated on that front. I don't actually know too much else about the national party in terms of the differences with their policies to the liberal party. Um, they're obviously more, uh, uh, more dominant in rural areas like Queensland and WA. But, yeah, I would just say they're underrated in terms of their influence. I don't think people really understand how much influence they have over the policy of the day because they're part of a coalition. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. Just being able to sustain a, a coalition for this long, it's, yeah, really underrated. It actually, and kind of the perfect example of how underrated it is is whenever, um, you know, like I believe, Sean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the agreement is that the deputy prime minister is from the national party. And so every time, you know, the mm -hmm. prime minister goes away and everyone's suddenly like, who's the guy that's deputy leader at the moment? Who's who's kind of running the country? No, I've never seen the guy before. Everyone's like, shouldn't it be Julie Bishop or something? Why is, you know, who's, yeah. that, who's that joke? Yeah, no, that's right. It's like people, you know, I think Mark Vale spoke a bit about, or speak, spoken a bit about this previously, like, you know, he'd be the acting PM and there'd be, you know, one in two people, you know, like there'd have been like, sorry, one in five to be able to name who he actually is if they yes. walk past him in the street or the airport. Um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. But I, I just wondered, Jordan, too, you might be a bit, you know, like being a bit more exposed recently to, I guess, agrarian economics and the economics <laughs> of, of farming and that sort of thing yeah. and agriculture. Um, it's probably, it's probably teased out a bit more of your your knowledge on that front and I guess that some of the things that maybe a nas the National Party would advocate for from environmental management or agricultural perspective, I don't know. Yeah, well, actually, where am I, to add a bit of context for listeners, my in-laws are farmers from Western Victoria, but I think it's all Liberal Party out there. So I'm not, yeah, I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I haven't even managed to get some sort of interaction with National Party policy through that end either. So, yeah. Yeah, completely oblivious. <laughs> there you are. 
All right, so where are we up to now? Is it on to Will? Or have I got one more for you, Jordan? No, I've got one for you, Jordan, don't I? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Don't, don't leave me so quickly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, maybe it's in this same vein. Um, Jordan, underrated or overrated? Fracking. Oh, good. Uh, so, Sean, you uh, obviously know that I'm reading a book called The Frackers at the moment, so perfect opportunity to ask that question. Uh, I think uh, overrated in the sense that the environmental impacts are way overblown. Um, I think most people don't realise that fracking's actually been around for decades, but it's only become economic in the last um, last 20 years thanks to some pioneering work done by some Texas oil men in the early 2000s. Um, so, yeah, there's, uh, there's been plenty of work done to show that the environmental risks are kind of the same as any other conventional oil and gas project. It has a lot to do with the... Um, so the standard way is that, you know, natural gas or oil is going to leak into the water table and that's going to cause you know, uh, issues on that front. But... Most of the shale gas, or sorry, shale gas that's being exploited through this method is like kilometres below the surface, whilst the water table's only three or four hundred feet. So the chance I heard one, I wrote, I read this piece by one scientist who said I've got more chance of winning the lottery than shale gas leaking into the water, the water table. So that's how, that's how like far apart they are. But the real risk is actually when whenever a oil and gas project drills to go hunt for oil and gas, the um, the actual well bore at the top. Um, that's where most of the risks are. If it's not, if the cement casing's not done properly and things like that, that's where you know chemicals and stuff can leak into the um, into the um, environment and cause damage. So yeah, uh, not to go further into the technical details, but yeah, environmental impacts overblown. But then it's also underrated in the sense that um, I think the energy revolution that's happened in the United States is so big, like from Australia, like we're you know we've got all these you know uh, power supply issues at the moment, you know. Electricity prices are high. We got blackouts and all this stuff. The US have like a third or even less the electricity cost that we do because of all the um, the shale gas that's being produced. Like that's that's phenomenal. Like you know, 20 years ago they were worried about running out of oil and gas, and now they're just swimming in it. So mm. I think yeah, it's underrated by countries outside the US uh, because of the potential opportunities that it could bring economically. So yep. yeah. So a good example of innovation, I guess, and you know something not being able to be anticipated at the time, uh, but resulting in something completely different. So I think that's um, quite a fascinating topic. Yeah, and just to add a couple other ex like unintended side effects of it, like not only in terms of the direct energy costs, but like the US and, you know, national emissions um, have gone down dramatically. So, like, even though they pulled out of the Paris Climate Agreement, they're, way, they're beating their targets by more than everyone else because of the shift from coal to natural gas thanks to fracking. Like, a lot of countries like Germany and stuff are kind of trapped between coal for baseload power and solar power, uh, you know, during the day, and it's kind of creating all these issues. But, yeah, it's in, the fracking's actually done more to help the climate than a lot of the government-led policies. Mm. Um, and yeah, one extra, I think one extra detail, like the, at the end of this book, the guy talks about the reasons why fracking took off in the U S and it hasn't anywhere else. And he partly puts it down to like the, as you'd expect the entrepreneurial risk-taking culture of Americans. But the other sort of like, uh, silent hero of the thing is that, um, in the U S, uh, landowners also own the mineral rights whilst in most countries, uh, yeah. including, yeah. The, uh, sorry, including Australia and the UK, 
we don't own the mineral rights underneath our land. The government does. So every time a mining company or an oil and gas company wants to, you know, potentially frack for gas or something, they mm. just do, they get it from the government. Whilst in the US, you can just lease it from a landholder, and I think that creates a system where people who are more worried about the environmental risks uh, have more control, and the people who are willing to take a punt are able to, and it kind of works itself out uh, in the courts or whatever, not uh, via the bureaucrats. And so I think that's a that's a real big reason why it took off there. Yeah, fair enough. Fascinating. We'll definitely cover that one. So now on to Will. Yep. Hit me. All right. Jordan, you've got one for Will. Yep, I've got one. I'm not sure if this is a good one. <laughs> uh, Will, underrated or overrated? Underrated or overrated is a podcast segment. <laughs> oh, I, think, I was wondering. I had the same thought about going meta on this uh, segment. Hey guys, you guys are killing me. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's underrated. Um, yes. Yeah. I, uh, I um, I think it's a yeah, it's a great uh, it's a great I, I, it's just a great idea and I think it um, yeah it can it can draw some um, draw an interesting perspective uh, out from people so yes nice underrated oh, well done gents that's lovely but um, now I've got one for Will so underrated or overrated uh, New York pizza <laughs> um I'm gonna say. Oh, I'm gonna say overrated. Yeah, there's um, there's like, there's so many, there's so many places selling these slices, these like New York slices, um, which are which are really average and um, yeah, people uh, people shouldn't go to. So I'm gonna say right. overrated. Fair enough. All right. Time for you, Sean. Cool. Bring it on. Okay. Overrated or underrated, water polo. Oh, I'd say still underrated. Oh. Um, just in terms of the exposure it gets. Um, but, you know, like, I think everyone appreciates it as a sport, but um, it still struggles to get a lot of exposure. Um, you know, obviously it pops up around Olympic, you know, summer Olympic time. Um, but, yeah, I would say underrated. Okay. Yeah. Is there um, something about the sport which people don't appreciate, or like you know, is there like a level of a skill set that people don't quite grasp, or is anything on that front? It might be actually probably the rules might be a bit um, like hard to appreciate or to understand, um, and the games are quite quick. And I think a lot of people I've heard over the years have said that they know that a lot of the action takes place under the water. So that's what people probably want to see a bit more rather than what's going on on top of it, which is, um, yeah, I think that probably explains a little bit. Mm. Cool. Um, I've got one for you, Sean. Underrated versus overrated. The end of history. Ooh. Mm. Um, interesting one. Um, I would say... I'd say Maybe you want to get some... Next. Yeah, sorry. So that's um, the title of Francis Fukuyama's book that he wrote, I believe, in the... It's adapted from a longer essay he wrote, I think, for Foreign Policy magazine, but his basic thesis is that liberal democracy is the sort of final organising principle for, um, for government. Um, and 
we can't sort of advance beyond there. Um, and one of the, so I, I would say just straight off the bat, probably um, overrated, but I'll explain why. It's because I think it's just, he's spent his entire career now, Fukuyama, arguing how it's been misinterpreted. Um, <laughs> so what will often happen to him is that um, people will go, well, look, there was a civil war in, um, you know, there was genocide in Rwanda, um, there was 9-11, there was, you know, like A to Z of conflicts that happened throughout the world since you've written that we're at, we've arrived at the end of history. Doesn't this mean that your thesis um, is wrong? And he said, you know, he always has to defend himself and say that that's not the actual thesis. Um, he was talking about... Um, liberal democracy as an organising principle for government, not to say that there would be bad things that would not happen in the world or belligerence or, or conflict or anything like that. So, um, yeah, I would say... Um, I, can't, I can't recall, actually, what I've said originally. So it was overrated, I think, in its interpretation, um, but perhaps underrated in terms of people actually understanding what the thesis was. But thanks, Will. That was a good one. Yeah. Uh, Shopo. Yep. Uh, Geelong versus Melbourne. <laughs> so we're doing a long short trade, are we? Overrated <laughs> or underrated each way? I uh, like it. Complex. This is a derivative. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would say Geelong underrated, uh, Melbourne overrated. So long, long Geelong, short Melbourne. Hedge okay. to hedge. Olio. Um, I think we, I think the Melbourne side of things, Melbourne's obviously got great, you know, cultural aspects to it. It's, you know, there's so much you can do, but I think a lot of these big cities are getting to the size where it's actually more of a burden living in them. Like just peak out traffic is insane. And the, I think the, the level of the networking effect that used to have, that used to be available in these big cities is starting to deteriorate. And you can get a lot of the, those benefits uh, thanks to the digital internet revolution. Like, you know, shit, um, we're talking to each other over Skype like this now. It's kind of, it's broken down a lot of those uh, original barriers uh, for why you wanted to be in a big city. So I think just the quality of life from going a slightly more rural, like Geelong's not a small city. It's kind of, it's the same size as Hobart. So it's still pretty big. But I think just the, what I've noticed so far, the quality of life is a shitload better and uh, just way less headaches than was living in Melbourne. That's that's my long short trade on that front. Nice one. What about you, Sean, on on medium sized cities? Yeah, look, I think there's a lot of parallels there with um, with Dunedin. Um, you forget, you know. I think the one of the key things I always think about is the commute to work. You know, um, just how you know Brisbane's not a huge city. It's certainly growing, but just the fact you got to factor in time, of course, um, and I forget what the average commute time, but I remember in Brisbane is around sort of 30, 40 minutes, and I actually live quite close to the city there. Um, but, you know, here um, in Dunedin, it's, you know, it's a matter of minutes to just get into the, the heart of the city. Um, if you've got to wait at one traffic light, you know, change of lights, um, that's unusual. And, um, you know, there's a lot of lot of just... I think when you just get time back from, you know, dead time like commuting, it certainly makes a huge difference. And, um, yeah, like you say, Jordan, with technology and things like that now, what we've got access to, 
um, yeah, I think there's uh, there's a lot to be had from um, you know benefiting from the lifestyle and uh, not living in a in a th huge metropolis because you can get some of those big things now from living in a smaller place. And I think a lot of these big cities are only really that valuable if you've got the money to spend. Like, um, yeah, having lived in Melbourne, a lot of the cool stuff I couldn't do anyway because it's just you know, living on a budget. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're like big, they're they're playgrounds for the uh, the upper middle class, to the elite. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Fair enough. All right, Jordan, overrated yep. or underrated? Um, the barefoot investor. Ooh. So um, that's Scott Pape, right? He um, yeah yeah yeah, and I think you'd have to say fairly valued because his book I think is one of it's probably the best selling sort of personal finance book in, in Australia. So he's very well known, and I think he's done some amazing things. Just like the amount of people you've seen who've uh, like I think there's one thing he recommends about the ING bank account, and they get like an orange orange debit card or something. The amount of people you see with that orange debit card. Is, is astronomical. So, like, he's definitely had a huge amount of influence and, like, he's very well known. So, yeah, I think he's done a, he's done a great job for people's uh, financial health. So, but I'll say fairly valued there. I don't, I don't think I have any, uh, you know, interesting takes on, takes on his work. Yeah. Cool. Um, we back to, back to Will. Yep. Okay, Will, this is a bit nerdy, so, um, but I'm going to go with it. Overrated or underrated? Thomas Piketty's book, Capital in the 21st Century. Oh, you're certainly put, putting Will on the hot seat, children. <laughs> so I, I, have the, I have this on my shelf and I haven't read it. So um, that seems to be quite common with this book. A lot of people own it but have never read it. Yeah, it's a, it's a weighty tome, so it's kind of intimidating to, to start. Um, I'm actually going to um, uh, take a... Uh, course with him uh, later this semester on his new book, which he's uh, visiting at uh, NYU and teaching wow. a graduate course here. So, um, yeah, I'll. Um, I feel like I should. I should start reading his uh, his first one before he's he, uh, teaching his new book. Um, so, I'm going to say the um, the book itself is probably. It's probably overrated just because it caused such a uh, sensation about, um, uh, yeah, at the time it really sort of captured the zeitgeist. Uh, but I would say that um, Piketty himself is probably uh, underrated in terms of his academic research and his, um, his influence on, um, on the way economics is done in, in going back through through history and putting together these um, uh, these data sets based on you know census data um, or you know uh, tax records in countries like um, France and and the UK going back centuries, I think that's um, you know that's kind of really impressive, painstaking work, which is um, which is kind of underrated. So uh, that's what I'd say. Nice one. All right, Will. Underrated or overrated? Um, the 36th president of the United States, LBJ. Ooh. <laughs> uh, this is a good one. I, um... Oh. 
So maybe some context. Listeners might remember from the last episode that um, I think we were talking about Robert Caro's. You were working your way through um, the huge, huge volumes of, um, of of biography on LBJ. So no doubt you've progressed a bit further over the summer. I was just uh, wondering if uh, underrated or overrated. I haven't expected you to, uh, to finish them, but where do you sit um, right now? I, I think, um, I think mm-hmm. underrated, in the sense that, um, yeah, things like the, you know, in contrast to JFK, uh, some of um, LBJ's uh, policy initiatives, like things coming out of the Great Society. Those are still with us, and was uh, was kind of a oh, are still present in the U.S. I should say, and um, and in that sense, that that's that's kind of an in, enduring legacy. Um, something which is which I discovered in um, reading Caro's book is that um, that LBJ was the sort of first person to really mobilize political donations on a large scale, and and bringing money into politics where it's, um, you know, it's really central to um, um, if you want to become a senator or a president to raise money just continually. Um, you know, he was the first person to, to do that. So I think that uh, sort of um, initiative, even though it's had, maybe it's had all these uh, perverse consequences, is, uh, is kind of underrated as, a, as an initiative. Cool. All right. Nice one. All right, gents. Well, where are we up to? Have we, have we exhausted? Anyway, back to I know you. we've got. Back to All right, cool. I've got one for you. Um, overrated or underrated? Four four x beer. Oh, okay. <laughs> I would say. <laughs> uh, um, uh, underrated. <laughs> As if you had to think that hard about that one. <laughs> Um, oh, I miss it. I miss it. Not available in New Zealand, so. Okay. <laughs> All right. I've um. Uh, what what can I um, what can I give you? Yeah, I'm um, giving you my list under, as well. Underrated versus overrated. Narendra Modi, Sean. Ooh. Okay. Um. Look, I've got to declare a bit of ignorance on this one. Um. Because, You're free to pass. Yeah, I might um I might pass because um I know I've got a there's a lot more to him that I need to actually um, read up on. So um, I'll, I'm going to do the first pass. Okay. Um, do you want me to do you want me to hit you up with another one? Uh, sure. The the royal family. Oh, okay. I think. Probably underrated, um, in the sense that um, the pressures of being a modern, you know, a, a modern monarchy in modern times um, requires a lot more uh, diligence, and I guess uh, it requires a lot more, um, a, a lot more pressure than I guess than what we see or what we're exposed to. So I'd say underrated. Okay. Interesting, interesting perspective. Mm. Cool. All right, gents. Well, I think that's a good sort of roundup. It might be a good place to to finish because I think I've exa- there's a couple more on the list, but I might keep them until next time. I've got one more for each of you, um, but 
I think, Will, you've had a really solid workout. We've put you to the test. Ooh. Um, J Jordan, I've, Jordan, I think we've um, tested your knowledge of, of current uh, of pop culture and <laughs> current consumer <laughs> trends. <laughs> no, you... Yeah, there was a... I was not expecting that. I was for sure the first question was going to be Warren Buffett or, or Charlie. We covered those in our uh, in our pre-chat, so had to um, yeah. throw out some, throw out some, uh, some less obvious. Yeah, nice one. Cool. Well, um, all right. Well, thanks very much, Will from New York and um, Jordan in Geelong. Uh, this was an interesting way to, to do it, underrated versus overrated, and I think we we did quite a good job for our first time, and I'm hoping. Listeners enjoyed it too. Um, so we'll. If Tyler, if Tyler Cohen's listening, I hope he enjoyed it as well. I'm yeah. Sure we did. <laughs> the inspiration. <laughs> cool. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you very much, gents, and thank you, listeners. Just a reminder um, whatever medium you listen to the Jacobs podcast on, um, please uh, drop in a rating or leave a comment or a review um, or get in touch with with any of us at seanjacobs.com.au and we'll, I've scribbled down the show notes here about so, some of the stuff we want to include that we've mentioned on the episode um, and uh, we'll be sure to put those in the notes as well. So again, Will, Jordan, thanks very much and thank you listeners. Thanks, guys. Cheers.